Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Jank One Chained. Do you know what a bounty hunter is? You kill people, and they give you a reward. Better they are, bigger the reward. I'm looking for the Riddle Brothers. However, I don't know what they look like, but you do. (laughs) They called my wife. They sold her. But I don't know who to. Calvin Candy. That's the repellent gentleman who owns her. Broomhilda is my property, and I can choose to do with my property whatever I so desire. Help me find the Riddle Brothers, and I'll take you to rescue your wife. Let's get to it. My name is Dr. King Schultz. This is my valet, Django. Come on over. We got a safari going on that's a good bit of fun. What'd you dig him up? A fortuitous turn of events brought Django and myself together. Move it. Well, I've heard tell about you. You got me curious. I'm curious what makes you so curious. Something up with these two. Them old boys done rode a lot of miles, went to a lot of trouble just to get that gal. Hey, little troublemaker. You silver-tongued devil, you. They playing your ass for a fool. I spent my whole life surrounded by black faces. I only had one question. Why don't they just rise up and and kill the whites? (laughs) Who knows what could happen? Y'all ain't gonna make it out alive. Anyone bring any extra bags? No, nobody brought an extra bag. I'm just asking. In my world, you gotta get dirty. So that's what I'm doing. I'm getting dirty. What's your name? Django. D-J-A-N-G-O. The D is silent. Adult supervision is required. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Django Unchained, and the story is as follows. Two years before the Civil War, Django, a slave, finds himself accompanying an unorthodox German bounty hunter named Dr. King Schultz on a mission to capture the vicious Brittle Brothers. Their mission proves to be successful. Schultz frees Django, and together they hunt the South's most wanted criminals. Their travels take them to the infamous plantation of Shady Calvin Candy, where Django's long-lost wife is still a slave. The film is starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kerry Washington, Samuel L. Jackson, Walton Goggins, Dennis Christopher, James Ramar, Michael Parks, Don Johnson, and is written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And here to join me today for this 2012 retrospective podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Danilo Castro. Hey, everybody. Dan Baer. You had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. 
and returning to the show as a guest from Awards Watch and in Session Film, we have Ryan McQuaid. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. Oh, it's wonderful to be back, Mr. Neglia, and to speak with Dan and Danilo and Josh. Yeah, no, we're really excited to have you back here to talk about one of the more popular films of 2012, a film that uh, has gotten a lot of rewatches from people over the years. Django Unchained was also a pretty big moneymaker for Quentin Tarantino and still to this day actually is his highest grossing film to date. And of course, I mentioned his name. It is a Quentin Tarantino film. So, of course, we're going to have a wide range of opinions on this going from his dialogue to the way he shoots it, the performances, the ideas that are presented in this movie, how he executes said ideas. He's a polarizing figure, that guy, but he always inspires a tremendous amount of conversation, which is one of the things I really appreciate about him for good or for bad. And he's had a very, very fascinating career. Up until this point, this was the follow-up film to Inglorious Bastards, which brought him back into the Oscar conversation with Best Picture, Best Director nominations, and winning Christoph Waltz an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Here, he reteams with Waltz, first time teaming up with Leonardo DiCaprio, Samuel Jackson, obviously a frequent collaborator, and he's tackling the American West, but not just any West, the Southwest. He's tackling the South during a time of slavery, and he's doing it in the style of a spaghetti Western. If anybody knows anything about Quentin Tarantino, they know that he loves his spaghetti western so much so that they've had influence on all of his other works where this here this is a straight up deep south pre-civil war western revisionist western might i add gotta mention that it's very very important so 10 years later what do we think of Django unchained ryan you are our beloved guest here on the show today tell me what's been your history with this movie and what do you think of it Oh, wow. I have to go first. Oh, that's crazy. Um, well, first of all, once again, thank you, Matt, for having me on. Uh, I remember this movie being one of the events of 2012. It was that Christmas. It released on Christmas. And it was, you're either going to see Les Mis or you're going to see Django Unchained. And listening to y'all's retrospective on Les Mis... I'm glad I did not still to this day go to Late Miss on Christmas. That would have been a terrible thing because every Christmas I go see a, a new movie. And like you said, Matt, this is the follow-up to Inglorious Bastards, one of Quentin Tarantino's best films. He's riding high. And at the time, you're like, oh, my God, this is a man whose like, love for Sergio Leone is, is smattered all throughout his films, right? And he's actually going to make a Western. And he's going to bring back this cast. And then he's got Jamie Foxx and Leo and that cast that you mentioned. It's like, oh, my God, this is going to be the biggest thing in the world. And I remember going that night and seeing the film and thinking that was the best film I had seen that year. It ranked that year at the time as my number one film of the year. I thought that it was bold. I thought it w w was also messy. I thought it was exactly what I expect Sergio Leone's, you know, modern day creation fanboy, Quentin Tarantino to do with this property, which is create an absolutely fascinating conversation with a movie like this. Do all these things now 10 years work later? No. Is this a perfect movie? No. 
is this my favorite Quentin Tarantino film? No. I'm putting all these cards out on the table because I know what's about to come. So I'm just paraphrasing myself, folks, is that this is my number six Tarantino film. But that does not mean that it is not still a very, very, very good movie in a movie that I rewatched recently about like three or four months ago. And then I, you know, I did a rewatch for this show. And I can still tell you that this movie works for me because it's a movie that while it wants to be entertaining and be a homage. I actually do think it's trying to say a lot. I think it's saying a lot about the nastiness and the vileness that is in our society, especially with race relations. Um, I know that there's controversy around this film and I deeply sympathize with anyone who is uh, upset about that or it, it does not sit right with them. My, one of my favorite directors of all time is Spike Lee. And he said he would not see this film. It is an insult to his ancestors. And I, I get it. Um, I also think too, that this movie is a fairy tale in a lot of ways, like his revisionist history films are. And I truly think that this movie is. And weirdly at the time, a movie I thought like we really needed and a movie still that I think is not necessarily to that extent, but is one that I think will, as we dive into it, give a fascinating conversation it's still now going back on it is my number two film of that year i would put paul thomas anderson's the master uh at my number one uh but this movie i, I still love it and it and it works and for a movie that's like two hours and 40 minutes it just moves with that tarantino dialogue these fantastic performances which is i mean some of these actors are giving the best work of their career possibly if not top three of their career uh it's it's a it's a really really good movie all righty. Josh Parm, let's kick it over to you, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this up front about this movie, just to dispel the mystery a little bit. I think overall, this is a good movie. I do think it's good just sort of generally looking at it as a whole. Most of that is because I do agree with Ryan about these performances. I actually think like every member of this ensemble is pretty perfect. I think everybody's giving great performances i think much of the craft is really impeccable and there are times in this movie where i even find it to be pretty engaging as a story and overall i do think that means i push it into the positive territory at the same time though i am going to admit that there are some really big issues that i have with this film some of them are kind of nitpicking things i'll admit some of them, I think, are actual issues I have with the filmmaking and with the storytelling. And some of that is also, I do also lay at the feet of Tarantino himself, just in his overall tone with this material and his intentionality with this subject matter. And I, I do have a problem with that. I, I don't know if he necessarily has a great grasp on melding this very serious subject matter with the kind of pulpy, exploitation tone that exists in all of these movies that he really likes in the spaghetti westerns in sort of black exploitation films also that obviously he has a lot of affection for but i don't think he really has a great grasp on how to have that fusion and make it work all the way through and because of that this movie is very frustrating when i watch it I do like it, but with a lot of reservations to it. So I look forward to digging into that more as we talk more about the film. But 
yeah, overall thoughts, it is good, but there are many, many, many issues I have, mostly with how Tarantino chooses to tell this story and how he frames some of these characters and his tone that he's going for. Alrighty, Danilo Castro. I like this movie. I think it's a really good movie. I think the performances, I'm going to echo what other people have said here, are pretty great across the board. I find it very entertaining, but I also find it sort of intermittently frustrating. I think the pacing of this movie can sometimes really hurt uh, where Tarantino's trying to go with things. And that was my big takeaway the first time I saw it. And then rewatching it for this, I... I, I lessened on that hardened stance a little bit, but that's still an issue that I think, you know, it sounds like we're going to be touching on as we sort of go further into the episode. But I'm overall positive. I think it's an imperfect film. It's not one of my favorites, but I do think there are several highs here that that are a testament to Tarantino's knack for that pulp story- storytelling that that Josh alluded to. I think the highs of this film are when he's leaning into that bag uh, when he is letting the character sort of play up that over-the-top, really exaggerated, cartoonish level of violence. And I think when he tries to veer it tonally towards stuff that it's a little more complicated and requires a little bit more nuance, I think the movie sort of, it struggles. Um, but I don't want to give too much away. Overall positive, but definitely with an asterisk that uh, I think we're all going to sort of expand on. All righty. And the last person to add an asterisk to his comments, Dan Baer. So I know Ryan mentioned, you know, Christmas 2012, you either saw Les Mis or Django. I saw both because I am that bitch. Um, <laughs> I mean, I did too. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I, saw, I saw Les Mis technically on the 20th. I, I, I did what Ryan did. I saw Django on Christmas, Les Mis the next day. <laughs> I had the... the dessert on christmas and i had the vegetables on the 26 yeah but But anyway i remember liking it fine i think when it came out like had issues with it but thought it was fine i still remember there coming a certain moment in the movie that i'm sure we'll talk about where i said god damn christoph waltz is winning another oscar isn't he and that's all I remember about this movie. I have not really thought about it much or seen it since. And I was very eager to revisit it because I always love revisiting Quentin Tarantino's films. I feel like there's always a lot to really chew on, um, whether it's stylistically or textually. And (laughs) this was such a disappointment on rewatch. I think it is very comfortably in the bottom tier of Tarantino's filmography. It is his most overly written film by which, I mean, he has sort of locked into these uh, (laughs) dichotomies in scenes that he pushes together because he has certain specific things that he wants to do that he thinks are clever, but they make no sense in the world of the movie or even in general. And and it just stretches the suspension of disbelief past the breaking point for me. I know all of his movies are kind of about stretching 
the suspension of disbelief to the breaking point. But this one for me actually broke that suspension of disbelief relatively early on. And from then I could really almost only see the film's flaws, biggest of which is that it basically repeats the same scene structure over and over again for two hours and 40 minutes. And the writing, unfortunately, is not at the level of his best movies to overcome that deficit. I don't think the performances really spark anything outside of Waltz and um, Samuel L. Jackson, obviously, who is brilliant and should have been the person winning an Oscar for this movie. But even this time, I found Leonardo DiCaprio to be really kind of one note and not that interesting. And... (sighs) Just I, w- I was really, really disappointed. Like Josh said, I feel like the basic level of craft here is good enough that I can't actually say it's a bad movie. Tarantino on a bad day is still Tarantino, so he's still better than most other movies out here. But I got to say, I am very confused by all the love this movie has gotten over the years. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it. Because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. We'll definitely try to uh, dissect that, I think, a little bit here. Uh, For myself, I remember when I saw this in 2012, I thought this movie was the bee's knees. I thought it was the coolest freaking thing. I saw it multiple times. I brought friends with me to the theater to watch it. Had such a great time. I love the audience reactions to this movie also in the theater. So I was really addicted to this film when I first saw it back in 2012. Flash forward to a year later. And a little movie called 12 Years a Slave comes out. And I got to tell you all, once I saw that movie, every rewatch I've ever had of Django Unchained since then has just dwindled for me. And a movie that was in my top 10 in 2012 now definitely is not in my top 10. I still very much enjoy it, and I have a lot of merits to speak to about it. But, man, the balls on Tarantino to think that he would be, like, the definitive voice to tackle American slavery, it it, kind of baffles my mind a little bit. But at the same time, he had such success with the Glorious Bastards and doing this revisionist history of World War II and Jews getting back at the Nazis and killing Adolf Hitler. It's like I could understand how with his, you know, ego so inflated, he would think, yeah, 
Let me try to make this revisionist Western where a black slave rises up and kicks the, you know, the ass of, you know, white slavers and kills them. You know, and, and does it legally speaking, too. I mean, I, I understand where his head was probably at with this. And at the end of the day, it's like in terms of his overall message and like what he wants the positive takeaway from his movie to be. I don't think Tarantino ever thinks on those terms in terms of like social impact or social commentary. Even I think he's just interested in writing cool dialogue for cool characters, for cool set pieces to make a cool movie. He wants people to be entertained by his movies. He wants them to walk out saying, wow, that was a really fun time. I had an excellent time. And you know what? I do have an excellent time when I watch Django Unchained. Still to this day, when I watch it, I'm still very much entertained by a lot of elements of it. But then when I start to actually really apply some of my brain power to it, that's when things start crumbling for me. And while it may not be to the level of, say, Dan Baer a minute ago, uh, I, I definitely can sympathize with the mindset here that this is actually one of Tarantino's more flawed movies, but yet it's also the one that seems to get the most love from people because I think when I talk about those elements that work, those cool characters, that cool dialogue, those cool set pieces, the general audience member, the non-critics, all of those other people, that's what they all take away from this. And that's what kept them coming back and it made it so popular. Yeah. Well, I mean, because the thing with this movie, and I think the reason why it does resonate with a lot of people, is that at the center of it, you have a very engaging, entertaining premise of a revenge flick, you know? And right. it's wrapped up in this very kind of pulpy, entertaining, energetic style that Tarantino is used to indulging in. And I think because of that, it makes it very appealing on kind of a surface level. But as you said, Matt, if you dig beneath the surface, I don't think you find too much else there. And because for me, this is a movie that really is only interested in that very surface level narrative, this material and this subject matter, I don't think it's really the thing that you should just be playing on the surface with. I do think you kind of need to dig a little bit deeper with it. And I find that most of the time that's not Tarantino's objective with this film. And it's not like he's incapable of doing it. Like, I would argue The Hateful Eight is a very smart movie about race relations in America that I absolutely yes. love. But this is not the objective of this. That's not the objective of this particular film. And that's the source of my frustration where, yes, it does have this sheen on it that's entertaining. But so much of what's underneath that is severely lacking from a storytelling perspective for me. Yeah, it's like when I. Watch some of the more horrific moments in Django now, uh, whether it's a whipping scene uh, done onto Kerry Washington and her screaming in horror at, at that, or the scene where um, where D'Artagnan gets ripped apart by the dogs. Like these scenes that are really truly horrific, because so much of the movie that surrounds them is done in this pulpy style where there are these really kooky and wacky ideas and a lot of them played for comedy that contrast i find myself being desensitized by the level of violence in this movie and for something as serious such as this i don't think that any filmmaker should ever be making me feel that way about this time in american history 
Like, I really think it's the kind of subject matter that needs to be treated with the uh, severity it deserves. Yeah, Matt, I, I, I agree with you. Every time I've watched this film, now I've gone back and forth on it over the years because that sometimes I understand exactly what you guys are talking about. He is dancing an incredible type rope. Yeah. Between making an entertaining revenge love story, a fictionalized account of what it would be like for a freed slave who turns into a bounty hunter to ride into one of the biggest plantations in the country at the time, right before the Civil War, go in there, blow it up right away with the girl, and also be the fastest gun in the West. And a lot of that is really cool. A lot of that also, too, that you're going to see and do a lot of things that are going to be morally questionable, right? And you're going to see a lot of things that are morally questionable. A lot of this also, too, is it's like when I was watching this film this time, really paying attention to the dialogue and really paying attention to the more quieter moments between King Schultz and Django early on in the film. And really, I understand why Tarantino does a lot of like the flashback stuff, like with the, um, with the brittle brothers and the, and the whipping there, or um, in, in the, this beautiful song that's played when they're trying to run away in the freedom song that's played. I, I think that song is, that's another thing too, that's added into this is an original soundtrack of a lot of music uh, for the first time ever in a Tarantino film too, when he's mostly consisted of needle drops, right? Throughout his career at this point. And then you, you throw in like the Bruce Dern stuff and, and you start seeing how this character has been, you know, really just separated and how the system and how this world has treated him and how broken he is, and yet how he is given this opportunity by Christoph Waltz to go and basically form a partnership to then go and then do the events at the end of the film. And yes, it can seem as a little bit of a white saviory by a, a lot little. of people. <laughs> a little. I, it can seem as if you know it is uh, of a poor taste, uh, cringeworthy. All these things, and those are fair things to say. But I think for me, as I watched it, I did connect more and more. I always do, even though Carrie Washington is not in this movie enough and really should be, and is a fantastic actress. The little scenes and the little, you know, motifs of her in there and everything to connect just beyond the pureness of because Tarantino's done revenge films before too, right? And to better extent, and I think his best film he's ever done is the core revenge film in Kill Bill. And yet it just works for me here. And I don't think this movie's trying to be like 12 years a slave. And I don't think Josh, you're right. If you want a Quentin Tarantino sort of big giant state of racial politics and our country and the police and, and every, and, and everything that the hateful eight is more your jam. Uh, and I, and that's a movie that Josh and I agree on. That's a very good movie. This movie, I think, is almost in a weird way kind of setting up what is to come with that now, which I know you can't play that back then, but a lot of the entertaining values of it really still work. The comedy does work. I think the tones do work because of the fact that it's showing that it's not going to be easy, this task, this mission that they want to do. 
you are still in a reality of this very, very brutal and harsh world. And for somebody like King Schultz and even Django, you know, he, he talks about it like everyone knows about Candyland, but it's one thing to hear about. It, it's another thing to see it, too. And it's it, for I don't know how you are not able to depict some of these things without going to those very harsh places. The question is whether he should or he shouldn't have. And I'm I'm not the director of this project, so I will not say whether he should or he shouldn't have. I will just say for me, the film works because I think the, the story and the love story and the revenge of it all, and it's it just works for me. I don't I don't know what what how else to whether to say that it just sometimes it works for people, sometimes it doesn't. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our throwback review for the 2012 film Django Unchained here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full-length two-hour and 40-minute long podcast review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.